listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Well, good morning. If you're visiting with us today, we want to tell you how honored we are by your presence. Hope that you will fill out one of those little connection cards. Just gives us a little information about, you know, where, how we can get in touch with you, email, things of that nature. And uh, we'd love just to be able to tell you more about who we are in the days to come. And, uh, and go ahead and give you an invitation in advance to come be with us any and every time that you're available because we do this every week of the year. Those of you who have been around for the last few weeks know that we're studying the book of Daniel. And today is when preaching the book of Daniel starts getting much, much harder. I enjoy preaching the first six chapters because the first six chapters of the book of Daniel is in the third person narrative. It's much a story that we can tell about those that have been brought from the land of Judah into exile under the oppression of the nation of Babylon. And it gives us uh, uh, some pictures of how God has shown favor to those of his people that even though are in a, a, an oppressive situation, in a captive slavery situation, they're still following God and God continues to prove himself faithful to those that will follow him even when it gets difficult. Today in chapter 7, we're going to begin looking at Daniel through a little bit of a different lens. We start today not seeing a story told about some guys, but a particular guy, Daniel, is going to be sharing some things that he is seeing, dreams, visions, things that will confuse, things that might draw us to thinking about movies that we've seen, specifically in, in the last decade, the last couple of decades. Uh, movie studios have made bukus of money by creating with computer graphics individuals and, 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 and aliens and other forms of monsters that aren't real, but they're computer-generated. And that CGI is making folks millions, maybe billions would be a better word. What Daniel is going to see is not CGI. It's a vision that he's having in the night. These visions are going to be of some pretty spectacular things. And, and as we get into this, I want you to know first and foremost that most of what Daniel is going to see is metaphorical, meaning we're not expecting these things, and neither was he, but they were picturesque so that he might understand the things that would represent what he's going to see. So I hope that if you got your kids in here today, that as we're preaching about these things, that they won't go home and have nightmares, but I need you, the parents, to remind them that these are symbolic of what is to come from Daniel's perspective, yes, but some of these things, even from our perspective, many, many centuries after Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 7 today. Daniel chapter 7 is quoted, I heard one speaker say it's quoted in the New Testament over 60 times. Daniel 7 is a very, very important chapter to the Old Testament as a whole and to God's inclusive plan from start to finish. It's very, very important. And we're going to hit some things that you're going to want me to tell you and define in ways that I'm just not prepared to do. You're going to want me to tell you what some of these things mean for certainty, and I'm going to tell you nobody can say what some of these things mean for certainty. But we're going to see a few things that I can absolutely stand here and with every fiber of my being have confidence and point you uh, in the direction that you and I need to be looking for. There are some things in here that we will very easily be able to clearly identify. But there's no way to get started without just jumping in. So let's jump in. Daniel chapter number 7 verse number 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his head as he lay 
in his bed. The first thing you need to recognize that in, ja- in, in Daniel chapter 7, we are going backwards in time. The events that you are going to hear from Daniel, even though chronologically it is after chapters 4, 5, and 6, chapter 7 actually goes back and Daniel is writing and recording a dream that he had in between chapter 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 4, we see Daniel interacting with, uh, with, with King Nebuchadnezzar. We see in chapter 5, he begins interacting with the king that we know of as uh, Belshazzar. And so there was a distance between chapter 4 and chapter 5. And in the middle of that distance, around the year 553 B.C., Daniel has this vision. Babylon is still in control. Nabonidus is the king, though he's away from the palace, and his son, we believe, Belshazzar, is ruling in the city of Babylon in his place. And Daniel has a dream. And what Daniel's going to see is some pretty amazing things. Let's look at the dream. He wrote these things down, the dream, and told the sum of the matter, verse 1. Daniel declared... I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirred, stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle, eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked. And behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like a man, and a mouth speaking great things. What a bizarre dream. I'm just wondering what kind of pizza Belshazzar was serving. No, this wasn't a general nightmare like you and I are used to having. This was actually a word from the Lord in a very specific way. What we are encountering in Daniel chapter 7 is something we're going to continue encountering for the rest of this book. And there are other places within the Old Testament that have these similar types of characteristics. In fact, we've already run into this in chapter number 2 of the book of Daniel when King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, if you'll recall, of an image made up of different metals from the head, the shoulders and arms, the midsection, the legs, and the feet. And Daniel explained to him that there was a meaning to this particular dream. In the same way, Daniel is going to be given a meaning. And what we are encountering here that's, that's discovered a few times in the Old Testament and then one time in the New Testament, if you've ever read the book that I know some of you dearly love, and that is the book of Revelation, what you are encountering in these books is something called apocalyptic literature. Natalie's going to show us and we're going to work through a definition because I wanted you to be able to understand what apocalyptic 
literature is. It is a genre. It is a, a type of writing, very much like you would understand the difference between uh, narrative, which we all like to read when we have to do a book report. It's a story, and it has a, a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And then you know the, the genre of poetry, which you know you can't, uh, you can't apply the same rules that you apply to narrative to poetry because poetry can get all kinds of squirrely. And then there's the, uh, the genre of prophecy when God is speaking to uh, a, a, an intermediate and, and getting a, a message to his people, either about what is currently happening or what is going to happen. And then you have a subcategory of prophecy called apocalyptic. The reason we call it apocalyptic literature is because while prophecy is often spoken, thus saith the Lord, I hear from the Lord, I speak for the Lord. Apocalyptic prophecy is almost always, in fact, I'll say I'm not aware of a time that this was not prophecy that was written, therefore making it literature. So we're going to work through the definition of apocalyptic Literature. This definition was uh, stolen by me from a guy named Ralph Alexander, who was a Dallas student, and this was a part of his doctoral dissertation in 1968. Raise your hand if you were alive in 1968. Yeah, y'all had the best music, you rascals. Okay, let's work through apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature is symbolic, visionary, prophetic literature composed during oppressive conditions. Next slide. It's consisting of visions whose events are recorded exactly as the way they are seen by the author. Next slide. And they are explained through a divine interpreter and whose theological content, next slide, is primarily related to the end times, which is called in the theological realm, eschatology. That's a fun word to say. Let's say that together. Eschatology. Let's see, you learned some theological day. That just means the doctrine of the end times. I'm going to run through it again. Apocalyptic literature is the symbolic, visionary, prophetic literature composed during oppressive conditions consisting of visions whose events are recorded exactly as they are seen by the author and explained through a divine interpreter and whose theological content is primarily eschatological or related to the end times. Thank you, Mr. Mr. Alexander. We appreciate that succinct definition. Now, Natalie, you can do away with that. The reason I explain that idea to you is so that you'll understand that what we are seeing is a type of communication. And it was a type of communication that was widely accepted in the time of Christ and about 250 years earlier. But Daniel is in the 6th century B.C., far earlier than when the apocalyptic genre began to be in vogue. I tell you that because many liberal scholars, liberal scholars are the ones who deny that God's Word is in fact God's Word, will say that there is no way that this Daniel could have been in the 6th century B.C. because this kind of literature didn't show up until the second century B.C., much, much later. Here's the problem. The problem is we see this same type of communication in books like Ezekiel, in Zechariah, and in Isaiah, whom I have for a fact knowledge was a lot older than Daniel ever was. So the bottom line is this. You can try to figure out a way that Daniel is not authentic to the writer Daniel, or you can trust it. And you say, Pastor Kevin, do you want me to trust you? I don't want you to trust me. But in just a couple of weeks, we're going to run across a verse that Jesus is going to quote and he's going to ascribe it to the apostle or the prophet Daniel. And I don't know about you, 
But I don't know that I trust none of y'all as much as I trust Jesus. And if Jesus thought Daniel said this, that's all I need. Sixth century Daniel laid down and had a vision and wrote it down. God using the, the vehicle of apocalyptic prophecy. Looking very narrowly at things that are coming in symbolic ways but theologically have to do with the time I'm in and everything in between that and the end times. God is revealing these things to Daniel. Let's pick up our reading. We're going to jump ahead in our chapter just because I want to group similar things together. I think it will be a help in you hearing and understanding what we're looking at. Let's jump to verse number 15. In Daniel 7, 15... After Daniel has seen what he's seen, and there's some other things he's seen. We'll get back to that. In chapter uh, 7, verse number 15, he says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit in me was anxious. Well, I reckon it was anxious. Seeing some of the, have you ever woken up from a dream that you were just like, Oh, my, I remember one time I, I dreamed that, that I was in my car and, and, and that I, I, for whatever reason, drove my car into the lake. And the time period was I'm still living at home and I was sweating profusely trying to figure out what am I going to tell my father about my car in the bottom of the lake. I woke up in my 40s and I was so glad that that was a dream. Okay, so we know... We know that that was a, you know, a nightmare kind of situation. Daniel woke up anxious. Think about the things he's just seen, these four beasts. How am I to process this? Verse number 16. And the vision, I'm sorry, 15, the vision of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there. All right, so, so he's in the dream. And he's, he's seeing what he's seeing. He's in the vision. And he moves to one of the ones that's watching that he figures might know a little bit more about what's going on than he does. And so he moves up and he asks him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the thing. 17. Here's what he said. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. Oh, oh, okay. All right. So the great sea that they came out of, well, that's the, the, the realm of humanity. Okay, so these, these beasts are kings or kingdoms that are going to arise out of humanity. Okay. But, he says in verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. And Daniel, you're going to see, is like, okay, yeah, I get that. So these are coming up out, but the saints are going to get the kingdom forever. But I got one big question. Then I desired to know the truth, verse 19, about the fourth beast. He said, I, I, I want to know a little bit about the fourth beast, with, which is different from all of the rest. It's exceedingly terrifying. Exceedingly and with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped out what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth and spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. And I looked, and as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Daniel's like, I, I saw these great beasts, and the, and the interpreter says, yes, Daniel, these are four kings, four kingdoms that are going to rise up out of the Gentile world. And they're going to rule in the area of the Gentile, in the, in the Gentile world, the earth. They're going to have domination over the Gentile world. Okay, cool. But tell me about that fourth one. Why was it so different? The angel says it's different because it is different. 
This one is going to have far greater power and it's going to be extensive in its ability to wreak havoc even over the saints. And the ten horns represent ten kings out of this kingdom, if you will. And that last horn, that last horn is going to be the one that's going to wear out the saints. He's going to be the one that is going to bring much destruction. And Daniel's like, wow. What most scholars think is that what Daniel is seeing corresponds to what Nebuchadnezzar saw in Daniel chapter 2. We studied Daniel chapter 2, and I told y'all, I'm not going to tell you what all these pieces of metal are about because we didn't have time. I don't have time today, but we're going to do it anyway because these two chapters correspond. It seems, and most scholars of Scripture will agree that the beasts and the image represent the same kingdoms. Well, what are these kingdoms? Well, to the best of our ability, we will say what it seems to be. Because from our perspective, where Daniel is looking forward, we have the benefit of looking backward. And many before us have had the ability to look backward. And many before us, centuries earlier than us, have looked at Daniel and said, hey, you know what? Those kingdoms seem to play out just like history played out in these particular kingdoms of the earth that rose in that time and in that place. So I'm going to tell you what I think. And you're going to pick up a a book or a commentary and they're going to say, no, no, it's this, that, and fine. We're not here to argue about this because the interpreter did not tell Daniel who these kingdoms were. Just that they were coming and were going to have a great effect over all of the earth and under which God's people were going to be required to be faithful. But if they were, God would rescue. God would uh, uh, protect uh, according to his will. So let's go through the kingdoms. Natalie, let's look at some pictures. I like pictures. The first picture is a rendering of the first beast. This royal lion, this king of the beast that also is reflected in its strength and swiftness of the eagle's wings. If you think about it, the lion, the king of the beast, what is the eagle? It's the king of the air. We know that. Why, did, why do we know it? Because we pick that even as our national bird. We get that it's a majestic, royal kingly beast. But what happened in the first part of this particular chapter to this beast? This beast was caused to stand up like a man and its wings were plucked and he had a mind like a man. This beastly kingdom ended up being ruled, if you will remember Daniel chapter 4, by a man named Nebuchadnezzar who was brought down by God. Until that king was willing to say, yes, Lord, you are God and I am not. I'm under you. Whatever you want, you do in heaven and earth. So you look back and you go, wow, that first kingdom seems to represent the empire of Babylon. If that particular beast corresponds with the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw, you'll see the first part of the image was the head of gold. And we know from, uh, from Daniel chapter 2 that God told Nebuchadnezzar, you, O king, are the head of gold. All right, we might be on to something here. So we're pretty confident across the board that this first lion-eagle combo is the kingdom of Babylon. But there came another kingdom. This other kingdom was not like a lion, but rather like a bear. This bear, it was said to have been raised up on one side, like maybe a a physical deformity, or maybe he was stronger on one side than he was the other. This one came after. This bear, not like the lion, 
much more clumsy and gangly, but I guarantee you will scare you to death if you ever run into one in the woods. Why? Because they are brutal. And, and you can't do anything with a bear. I don't care what Leonardo DiCaprio did on the big screen. You ain't fighting one of them. Because they are enormous. Not nearly as majestic as a lion, but certainly as powerful. This lion raised up on one side. I wonder what that's about. This, uh, this, this bear has, a, uh, has a three ribs in its mouth. I wonder what that's about. Many have looked from behind and said, hey, what kingdom came after the kingdom of Babylon? Well, it was a twofold kingdom. It was the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. The Medes were some folks that got assimilated into the Persians, and rather than stomping them out, the Persians decided to utilize what strengths they had, but everybody knew in that kingdom who was the dominant, and ultimately who became the dominant once the Medes all went away. So this bear raised up on one side. You go, wow, that seems like that could be the kingdom of the Medes and Persians because they came right after Babylon. You'll remember Daniel chapter number 5 when the Medes and the Persians showed up with the writing on the wall. I wonder what those three bones are about. Some have believed that it could be the three nations that, that Medo-Persia took over in the Lydian kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, and then ultimately the Egyptian kingdom they would crash down. So is that what it is? Could be. Open your history book and you go, wow, that could be that. It could represent some other things, but like I say, we're not here to pinpoint it. We're just here looking at, yep, seems like that kingdom that was Babylon got taken over by another kingdom, and that whole built up on one side and three kingdoms, that's making a little bit of sense. We think this was the kingdom of Medo-Persia because the next one in line on the image was the arms and the shoulders of silver, the kingdom that comes after. And then he saw a third beast, and now this one was cool. This one was a leopard. Or possibly, this same word translated leopard could be a panther, but it's a cat-like, not nearly as strong as a lion, but a whole lot faster than a lion. And then when you turbocharge this booger with them four wings on its back, this sucker can move. You say, well, who in the world is that? And what's about them four heads? Well, let's think about it. You had the Babylonians that came, and then they were overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. For about 200 years, the Medes and the Persians ruled until a young man in his 20s, the son of a king of Macedonia, came into power. And this young man, he's a good-looking fella. This young man's name was Alexander. Some said he was great, okay? And so Alexander came along and started building an army. And within six years, Alexander was able to conquer the known world. It's like a military phenomenon what Alexander the Great was able to do in such a little time. I mean, this guy was speed uh, rabbit, but he was getting it done with all of his conquering. The problem is, is that he didn't leave any children alive when he mysteriously died at the age of 32. The reason I said this is because most folks think he was poisoned at age 32. And the children that he did have also were poisoned, maybe by his mama. I don't know. I wasn't there. But Alexander died. Well, what's going to happen to the kingdom? Well, just so happened Alexander had four generals that took over the rule of the Greek Empire and were in rule for a number of years. And that, those rulings changed hands over about 20 years. It took to solidify their parts of the kingdom. But if you're looking at a history book, Daniel going, I don't know what this thing is. It's a kingdom that's coming. But we have the ability to flip over and go, let's talk about what came after the Persians. Well, the Greeks came after the Persians, and boy, were they in a hurry to get on top. And they ended up with four rulers. You go, all right, 
Okay, I see what you're doing, God. You're just showing us some things that are coming. And on the, on the image, we see that next to come was the bronze medal. We know there was another kingdom to come after this. This leopard, next slide, represents that bronze. God. We think, chapter 2. But then Daniel said, I saw a terrifying beast. The fourth one. And, you know, I looked. I looked all over the internet for something. That's pretty terrifying. But probably not some of your kids are sitting there looking at going, that ain't so scary. And you know why? Because what all they're watching on Netflix and everything, they've seen all kinds of stuff and oozing and goozing. But this right here looked appropriately terrifying. You say, what is that thing? I don't know. That's why Daniel was saying, what in the world is that fourth beast? Because that fourth beast came in kicking and stomping, and he came destroying everything everything in its path. It wasn't majestic. It wasn't even beautiful to look at. It wasn't about its speed. This thing's not very fast, but it was ferocious. It was exceedingly terrifying. And then it was weird because of the ten horns, all of a sudden three of them get plucked up and out of the middle, the next slide's going to show you that this little horn comes up. What am I eating? Lord, what are you doing? I see this horn pop up and it's got eyes and it's talking and I'm pretty messed up right now, God, if you could just help me with this. God said, yep. Yeah, that is a little strange. In, in, the, in the ancient Middle Eastern art, horns almost always represented authority. God says these ten horns are rulers. This beast has iron teeth and bronze claws and just comes in and wreaks brutality on the whole earth. Well, let's flip over the next page in our history book. Babylon came first, then the Persians. Persians got knocked off by the, the, the Greeks. Who came along over time and just picked the Greeks' pocket one at a time? And in fact, came in and did whatever they wanted to do. And where all of these kingdoms before it like to try to assimilate them and the ones that they conquered into their nation, this next kingdom just like to come in and go, yeah, now we're just going to kill all of y'all. We're going to leave some of you alive to be slaves. We're going to burn all your stuff down. We're going to want to rebuild it all anyway. Who was that kingdom? Rome. Rome did what they wanted. Rome conquered the world. Now it was slow and it was calculating and they'd sit and wait you out. But they ended up reigning over the known world. Now there are a lot of commentators and scholars that will say, I don't know about this one. And you know what? None of us really know about this one. But the history book sure does show that the last major empire of world domination was Rome. You say, well, Rome fell. They sure did. In about, uh, I had it written down in my notes. I think it was about 410 A.D. that the, the Romans were sacked by the Visigoths and they came into Rome and they knocked it down. So the, the empire of Rome was done in about 410 A.D., I believe. Then for about another thousand years, there were Roman kings. Y'all remember that? The Holy Roman Empire and its church and state and all kinds of messed up, Right? So while Rome came crashing down, it still continued. And not just one author speaking of Rome said, and I find this interesting. Every world kingdom that has come after Rome that has been successful in remaining a kingdom has adopted the philosophy and the strategy of Rome. 
So you could argue that the Roman Empire is still symbolically in effect even in our own nation. Where in the world do you think we got the architecture for the buildings that we know and love in our nation's capital? Where do you think we got the whole idea of representative government with an executive and where do you think that came from? That rascal. It came from Rome. So what's going on here? Here's what I think. I think what we're looking at is is God showing us a picture of what is to come in all of the earthly kingdoms from Daniel all the way to the end of the earthly kingdoms. How does that work, Pastor Kevin? I don't know. But I think what we're seeing is the entirety of human government expressed in the modes of empire all the way to the end. Who's this 10 kings? I don't know. I don't think we've seen them yet, just to tell you the truth. Who is this little king, this little one? I I think that this little horn is the one that is spoken of in Revelation chapter 13, chapter 17, chapter 19. I think it's the one that's mentioned in Matthew chapter number 24 as the abomination that brings destruction. I think it's the one mentioned in Thessalonians chapter number 2 and 1 John chapter number 2 and 4. You probably know him by the same name I know him, and that is, say it with me, Antichrist. It seems as though Daniel is getting a symbolic look at the one who is to become ultimately the destroyer, the persecutor of the saints. See, I think what we do with this particular kingdom is we go to the next page of the, of the history book and we go, yep, Babylon and Persia with the Medes and then Greece and then Rome and, and, and then beyond Rome and then beyond that and then these rulers and, and then that horn, I think that's what we're seeing. That's what I think. But I want to talk, stop talking about what I think. I want to start talking about what I know. Can we pick up the the, the vision? Let's pick up the vision, but let's walk back just a little bit. Let's pick it up in verse number 9. See, after Daniel saw these terrifying creatures of that first half of the vision, his attention is drawn away. He's locked in on what he's seeing here. Oh my goodness, will you look at this? And then, hey, squirrel. So maybe Daniel was a little ADD. I don't know. But something, something shiny caught his attention because he went from gazing on what's happening on earth to a much more exciting scene happening in the heavens. Look at verse number 9. As I looked, thrones were being placed. Things were happening up in the heavens. Thrones were being brought out. We're getting ready to see somebody. You know, have you seen the videos? And maybe some of you remember that that when when the king of rock and roll used to play, you'd start hearing that swell of that music. But up, but up, but up. You know what's coming? Oh, he's coming out! I can't wait. But up, but up. You know he come out, and I was like, woohoo! Thrones are being put out. So if you'll indulge me. Ba-da-ba, ba-da-ba. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm with you, Al. I'm telling you. This is, I know what this is. Watch. He says, and the ancient of days took his seat. Ba-da-ba, ba-da. Okay. You say, who is this ancient of days? Isaiah said it something like this. I, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train was, the garments was the smoke and the fire. and The the ancient of that. What is he saying? The eternal one. The only one. Comes out and takes his seat on his throne. 
oh, okay, some things are going on down here, but I see the thrones being placed and the eternal one takes his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. Purity, no blemish, no fault, no sin, no way. And the hair of his head was like pure wool. I mean, that representative, I think, of wisdom, knowledge, that understanding. He's high, he's pure, he's understanding, he's the wise one. His throne was fiery flames, purity, judgment. You better step back or you're going to burn yourself in my presence. And look what he says. Its wheels were like burning fire. It's not a wheelchair. This is a mobile throne. It goes around. I mean, it moves wherever it goes. Ezekiel talks about, I saw the throne had wheels and wheels and wheels. And you're like, what in the world? Which direction is this thing going? You know what direction it's going? Any direction it wants. Meaning he's everywhere he wants to be. He is anywhere he needs to be. It's a theological term called omnipresent. Oh, 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 I know who we're talking about, Charlie. It's the omnipresent one. It's the one high and lifted up. And streams of fire issued and came out from before. I'm just imagining, imagine, you know, okay, it's just awesome. The Ancient of Days sits down, stream of fire issued and came out from before him, judgment. And a thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Remember when Jesus was about to be you know, about to be crucified, or maybe it was when he was on the cross. And, 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 and it said that, you know, if, if all I needed to say was the word, and I could call the host of heaven to come, but I ain't going to do that, because what I'm doing is, okay. Thousands and thousands of what? The heavenly host, the angelic realm that do nothing but serve and praise God and just do whatever in the world he says to go do. And they do it in an awesome fashion. And the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. On what? On them beasts. On all that they had been doing, all that they have been proclaiming, they were to be judged. And the books were opened. And you know what is in that book's? The facts. If it's in that book, it's true. If it ain't in that book and it's supposed to be, you out of luck. Not a clerical error, not a misspelling. The books are accurate. They just open the books because God says, it's time to judge. Just like I said. You remember Daniel 2? Statue, all these pieces, all these images. And then a stone cut out, not by hands, came and crushed the entire image. That's what's happening right here. And I looked, verse 11, then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking while that little dummy horn was talking, while that little insignificant nothing who was wreaking havoc on this earth, causing great amount of pain in the peoples under his thumb. But compared to the ancient of days, was just noise and a buzz in his ear. While that stupid horn was saying all the things he had to say, I looked, the beast was killed. Just, that's it. Done. We're done with you. Over. And the body was destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Yep. Gone. Over. Done. Ancient of Days said, that's it. And it was it. Who is this Ancient of Days? He's the hope of of Daniel's vision. He's, I believe, God the Father. But it gets even better. And I saw in the night vision 
And behold, with the clouds of heaven, because this one is uniquely connected to God the Father. I saw one that came like a son of man because he is uniquely connected to humanity. And he was presented before the Ancient of Days. He didn't come with an application. He didn't come with a hope that he would be a good fit. He was brought before the Ancient of Days. Step up here. You're the one. Step. It's you. You're the one. Presented before him. Look at this. To him was given dominion. That's authority. And glory, that's worship. And a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. You remember a parable out of Luke chapter number 19? Jesus said, a certain nobleman went away to receive a kingdom. And when he received that kingdom, he came back. What are we seeing here? We're seeing the fulfillment centuries before those words are ever going to be spoken out loud by the Lord Himself. We're seeing the fulfillment of Jesus looking in the candle-bouncing light of that upper room saying, if I go away, I will return and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you You know what we're looking at? Ladies and gentlemen, can I, can I introduce you to someone referenced 82 times in the New Testament, 30 some odd times in the book of Matthew. Uh, he's referenced, where in the world have I got that? He's re referenced 14 times in the book of Mark, 25 times in the book of Luke, 13 times in the book of John, 78 verses. Can I introduce to you the Son of Man, the crucified risen, ascended Savior and King. We know Him as Jesus of Nazareth. But this is not the beaten one. This is not the manger one. No, no. This is the returning one. On His horse and with His authority. I think God's saying, yeah, yeah, that's all going down here. But look up here. Because what is this Son of Man going to do? He is going to receive the authority and the instructions. And then he's going to execute God's will. On behalf of who? You and me. And guess what? All that's going on around us is over. And who is the last one standing? The Son of Man. Praise His name. God the Son. What, what, what's all that? I, I got to stop because, well, time's up. I'm going to do a podcast. I've not, I might have told you all about this. I'm going to do a podcast. Sometime. At some point, Austin, I'm going to do a podcast. Maybe one of these days I'll sit down with the podcast and I'll just talk about my notes because I got a whole lot more written down I'd love to tell you. Bottom line, what is Daniel seeing? Everything that was going to happen and is still going to happen, I believe. And then how God brings it all to a conclusion. Through His power and by His Son, the Son of Man, who takes His kingdom and brings us in. What are we to do? What is our response? I think our response is fourfold. Number one, surrender to the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. Surrender. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, it's not about what you know. It's not about what you think. It's about whether or not you have bowed the knee to Him. Have you recognized and accepted the fact that you are a sinner? You are out of the family, considered an enemy of God, but believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus in your place and for your sin, you embrace the gospel that is a free gift for you by faith. Have you surrendered? Are you today surrendered? Maybe you know Jesus as Savior, but you thought you might could keep one foot in the world and one foot in His kingdom. Now, what we need to do is get that foot out of the world, Resurrender ourselves so that we can stand and follow through on the next three. And they are 
worship the ancient of days and the son of man. Can you worship him today? Because you are in right relation with him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can't. But it starts with surrender. If you got sin in your life, Christian, you know your worship is hindered. Today would be a great day to go, oh my goodness, will you look at him and bow the knee in confession. Let God clean you. Let God restore you and set your feet back on his path. So that you can do the last two things. Number three, trust Him who is the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. Trust Him with your family. Trust Him with the decisions you don't have an answer for. Trust Him with the chaos going on around you. Trust Him to know what your next step is in being an ambassador of Jesus. Trust Him when He does things that you don't like or doesn't do the things that you want. Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. So that you can do the last one, and that is obey Him. So that we might walk in obedience today and every day between now and His coming. No matter what horns come up, no matter what talking horns begin to speak, we might stay obedient because we trust Him, because we worship Him. Because we're surrendered to Him who stands ready. All He's waiting on is the go get them. And I'll say with John in the book of Revelation, come on, Lord, we're ready today. But if He doesn't come, He's got a job for us to do. We need to walk in that by faith. Let's stand together, if you will, with heads bowed, with eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. Trust in Jesus is not about saying magical words. Magical words, magical prayers don't do anything. But when you from your heart communicate with God that you believe is real, well, that's called prayer. And when you pray believing in what God has revealed, and that is that He loves you and sent His Son to die for your sin and was raised to life to prove that death was sufficient for your sin. And you embrace Jesus and Jesus alone by faith. And when you articulate that to the God who is real, well, that's a prayer of faith that will lead us in to new life. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it's as simple as, God, I know I'm a sinner. But I believe that you love me and that your son, God the Son, died for me. He took on my sin on the cross. He defeated it. You raised him from the dead to prove it. I trust that and that alone. I trust him and him alone. I want to be yours. Take me, clean me, make me new. Let me walk with you from now on. And you can be brought into the family. Christian, worship, trust, obey.